0: A full of us here, and uh, look forward to playing that piano here soon. Here in an hour, and uh, looking forward to Dave playing that piano. It's, it's our fifty thousand dollar piano, for the record. It's, uh the comparable version that they have. They sell Yamaha sells now, sells for like fifty five thousand dollars, I understand. And so we got a just gorgeous piano. Wait, wait to hear it here in an hour. It'll be great. So uh, I think that we. Uh, that's all right. Enjoy. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> we, uh, uh, that's okay. Yeah, That's okay. I don't mind. I really don't. But uh, hey, this, this is a sound bite here just for the record here. Uh, I know I'm preaching to the proverbial choir here, but uh, we had, uh, we were able to buy that from three and a half years of giving of our dollar bill offering, of course, and all the other things that we bought over the years, you know, our kitchen and our bus and our front steps and our sign. Uh, over the course of twenty one years we've bought a lot just by our nickel and dime offering here. I want to go back to that but we're gonna wait a few weeks before we started, so gonna you know, give you a reprieve here. We only got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, looks like eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen of us, whatever it is, it counted the cry room in the upstairs here. But uh I was looking at my diary, of course, just for the record. Uh, you know, this time last year, two years ago, we were still running just on a, a good... We were running 80, 90, 100, over 100 people in Sunday school. And, uh, of course, now we've gone to the Bible studies and so forth, and we're, I think we had 30-something last week. We, we have almost 40, I guess, last Sunday here. i got to get my glasses on so I can read. Uh, uh-oh, oh Oh, no, they're here. They're here. I put them in my pocket there. I got new glasses. I finally ordered new glasses. I'm looking forward to getting my bifocals, hopefully, before the week is out here. But uh, these are just uh, for nearsightedness. But anyhow, back to the story here. Uh, I just want to tell you that we're looking forward to Missions Conference. It's the first time that we've been planning a major event, a major conference of any sorts in, well, it'll be two years, essentially, because we didn't have one last year. And I talked to missionary Garen uh, Garin, Garin Patrick is his name, yesterday, and looking forward to hearing Garen Patrick happens to be a black uh, uh, man, of course, from uh, California, and he's on his way to Nigeria. They're going to be with us during our missions conference, He and his wife, they're West Coast graduates, by the way. Uh, Tim, as I look at you, of course, look forward to having them with us and going to the country of Nigeria. And uh, then, of course, we'll have the Gallows with us and the Balavas with us, and Probably that's about it there. We might have a guest missionary come in for just a night or two, maybe possibly, but uh, look forward to Sunday through Wednesday, Wednesday through Sunday rather, meeting. And then uh, we have, uh, I shouldn't do this, but we only have, we'll just, I'll just pull you guys here tonight or this morning here. We're scheduled to have, as of yesterday, we're still scheduled to have a fully catered in meal on Saturday night. I was just told by, well, Pastor Gil and we were talking, and they they converted to Sunday afternoons right after the morning service. Uh, We're having a catered-in meal for our international banquet. Uh, Do we do it Sunday morning after the morning service, or do we keep it Saturday evening at 5 p.m.? Anybody have a take on that? Uh, I know I'm just springing it on you. We've got four or five. Ten of us here in auditorium here. Did anybody have an opinion here? How, how many think we should keep it Saturday night? How, uh, how many people think we should do it Sunday get ready to vote here? How many people don't know? <laughs> so how many people Saturday night? Sun, Sunday afternoon after the morning service. Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. You know what? You're worthless. No. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. To chime in afterwards. We're going to make a call in the next seven days here. Mar- March Dayfield thinks that we're going to do it Saturday night, but I'm really thinking just as of late last night that. I... Gil says it's been great that he went to do it into a Sunday format. Maybe we could do Sunday format. So uh, I'll, I'll make the decision here. What's that? Sunday. Amen, 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 amen to whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so so we'll see here. But uh, you can talk to me afterwards about that. We'll, we'll do whatever we, we can do. So, uh, But let's pray for our missions conference. Lord blesses that in a great way here. And... Uh, uh, trying to get up and running here. At one time, there were 37 lights. Well, we never had that board up until a few years ago, but we had 37 missionaries that we supported at our height. And we're down to, really, we're down to, we're still supporting 21, but two are going off the list here in the next uh, one in a month or two, and another in June is going off two of our African missionaries, So that's why we brought in uh, this Garen Patrick. He's going to Nigeria. Big country, 150 million people or something like that in Nigeria, I think it is. And... Uh, We look forward to, you know, just keeping those lights on in Africa. And so be in prayer for our missions conference, if you would. uh, uh, Tim, uh, would you pray for us? Just pray for our missionaries, if you would, please, and pray for our class here this morning here. The first time I've taught Sunday school in months on end here for sure, several months for sure. But uh, pray for us, would you, Tim? Amen. Anybody need a book? We've got a couple, three books uh, up here. Anybody? Luke, we're, we're in uh, Lesson 7 this morning here. Lesson 7, Journey into Kingdom of Living, How to Avoid Being a Fool. And uh, we'll, you don't need a book to follow along necessarily. But let's turn to Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Luke chapter 12, verse It's underneath the black there, Tim. Luke chapter 12. And maybe we could have somebody read that. Mark, if I could pick on you, would you, would you read verses 13 through 21? And uh, I don't mind telling you here, I, I need to slow down and talk. I, I'm supposed to be taking speak-up classes. They call them speak-up classes <clears throat> for my so-called disability. <laughs> I have a lot of disabilities. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I find myself mumbling and then speeding up and talking too fast. I've been doing that for years. I'm trying to slow down, and trying to talk with diction, it's hard to do, and some of it is just uh, my shot and my DNA in me, I'm, I'm sure, in my old age, <clears throat> but I'm trying to train my voice to speak clearly, with that said, Brother Mark, would you help us out, would you speak clearly, didn't Tim do a good job, by the way, the last weeks he was with us here, of course, and uh, enjoyed Brother Tim Butler, I called him this morning, and said, hey, Hey, where are you? you got to turn the lights on and turn the heat on and so forth. And uh, i got his answer machine, of course. It's half a dozen little things that he does or somebody does before about 7 o'clock, 7.30 to get ready for for the services, of course. And uh, it's fallen on me for a little bit of time here. And uh, enough said. If we don't get moving here, we're not going to get through this lesson here. We're we're going to be done in 33 minutes regardless. So uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. With great diction from a Mark Wiedemeyer voice. (laughs) Mark, would you read the entire passage of scripture for us, please? All right, here. Thank you for that, Brother Mark, here. First paragraph, I'm on page number thirty-one, how to avoid being a fool. In America, we live in a time that has been called the age of obsession with possessions. On our currency is a slogan, In God We Trust, a more accurate motto would be in this God, and the Almighty Dollar Bill, in other words, we trust. No parable speaks more of to our obsession with possessions then Jesus' parable of the rich farmer. In this parable, Jesus reveals that a person obsessed with possessions is a fool. Pretty strong language. As God continues to teach us about kingdom living, he tells us how to avoid being a fool, beginning with beware of greed. And I know I'm preaching this morning to our teaching to a very... Not trying to butter you up at all, but uh, everyone here is uh, trying to very hard to be a good spiritual Christian. I understand that. I'm looking at the crowd here, and every one of us here are making efforts, no doubt. To and you know, we don't we're not given to covetousness or greed. But I I tried to personalize this as I was studying this week. Just spent a little bit of time studying for this message, read through it, and made some notes and so forth. And uh, I was thinking of the. You know I may be the the most covetous person in this whole room here this morning here maybe uh uh I've always liked nice things so older i get uh uh I'm starting to realize the futility of a lot of things here i always use this illustration of uh, i won't ask you how many have bought new cars in your life i hope i uh, hope you bought 20 new cars maybe in your life i don't care it doesn't matter to me i always say i like rich people and if you can buy new cars good for you i never bought a new car in my life of course and somebody said to me the other day or two weeks ago i'm trying to think who it was they said uh, well it's a nice looking cadillac and i and of course it's three years old it's got 142,000 miles on it but i keep it nice looking and i paid 7400 dollars for it and uh and I never paid over eight thousand dollars for a car in my life, personally, of course. And uh, uh, you yeah, got me beaten. So, and uh, you know, I, but I like to look like I'm a rich man, of course. You know, so I buy two hundred dollar, one hundred fifty dollar suits, but hopefully people think they're five hundred dollar suits. Of course, that's the plan. And uh, you know, but I I have a desire to look like I'm rich. You know, I have a desire to, and a lot of things. I, I like I like nice. I like everything nice. I don't know if you're like that, but I, I really am. And the uh, next paragraph says, so as Jesus teaches the crowd of thousands, someone in the crowd says to a master, speak to thy brother that he divide the inheritance with me. The Old Testament addresses most situations concerning inheritance. And we could go to Numbers of Deuteronomy and see God had a plan for inheritance that the, children should, or the fathers should lay up for their children and the children's children, according to Proverbs as well. However, sometimes a situation would arise and that needed intervention and would be brought to a rabbi for a settlement or a lawyer. for. Uh, and so many people die. Of course, you know, this happens every day of our lives. And someone, you know, uh, when mom or dad dies or a grandparent dies or some rich lost uncle dies and uh, everybody comes out of the woodwork and uh, uh, wants a cut of the pie, a cut of the inheritance. Uh, enough years have gone by and I'll be a little elusive because there's only... Well, Tim, I'm looking at you. You'd be the only one that maybe been a long, long time ago. But I remember we were supposed to get an inheritance. I've always had to keep this secret all these years. I've kept this secret, and it'll still be a secret, Tim, because you're here. And so, uh, but uh, many, 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 many years ago in Harvest Baptist Church history, uh, we had certain somebody that we were supposed to get a pretty good chunk of their inheritance when they died. And before they right before they died they got their their relatives, their distant relatives swooped in from some place, we won't say where. Never never had visited not one time in their lives and all of a sudden they come in and they, they got power of attorney, they got the things switched over and got their will switched over and we lost a big inheritance that was supposed to come our way. I never could say anything about it because because uh I, I couldn't say anything about it, obviously for obvious reasons of course, but uh it was in the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. It was in, it would have been our largest windfall we've ever had, and of course we never got it. I remember, the the family came to us, and they almost wanted accolades and wanted me to bow down to them when they gave us $500, uh, the inheritance of uh, uh, it was it was a lot of money to be honest with you, and it wasn't it wasn't even well forget a tie, there was forget a tip it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a, a tip, wasn't a tip it wasn't even a pins of the the amount, but we were supposed to get, but. And I thought about that oftentimes and somebody that knows the the, uh, in fact, the founding pastor of the church. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, he was in on privy to this as well, and he, he was pretty miffed, of course, and so forth. But uh, you know, the jealousy and covetousness starts standing there in. So the next paragraph, um, Jesus refuses to be drawn in by the dispute by saying, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Instead, he issues the uses the incident as an opportunity to teach his followers about the dangers of greed. And we live in a greedy society. I I wrote down my side notes one word. I wrote down the word lottery. I mean, uh, I get so sick and tired of uh, uh, folks. We have people. They're not here this morning. They're too busy sleeping in. No offense. But uh, we have people in our church that play the lottery regularly. In our church, just for the record. I'm I'm tattling. I'm just being, being mean now. I don't care and they're not here to hear it anyhow, but they're trying to get rich by playing the lottery. They spent probably tens of thousands of dollars on the lottery. Uh, So I Googled in the phone the other day, you know, how much money, how many, what's your chances of winning winning the $1 million lottery? Of course, uh, I should bring my phone up here and let you listen to it live. And basically it's about a one in two million chance to win the lottery for a million dollars. And then the government takes half of that to begin with. So it's really about 500,000 by the time you get done. And then I Googled and uh, I, have, I was going to bring my phone up here to do it, uh, because it tells you in about five seconds, how many millionaires are there in the United States? Anybody want to guess how many millionaires are in the United States? Tens of thousands. Ten anybody? Here is the number, according to Google, who is all-knowing, 18.6aires eighteen point six million millionaires. 18600000 millionaires in the United States as of 2019, more than any other country in the world. That's one in almost 19, every one in 19 people in America is a millionaire. How do you do that? I got a book in my office called How to Get Rich Slow. And, uh, you know, it used to be when I was a kid, of course, when we were all kids, of course, I'm talking, you know, millionaire. That was somebody. Now it's our next door neighbors. Now it's some, you know, one in 19 people. Uh, You can get rich rich the old-fashioned way by working for it. In fact, uh, it's really about 1 in 12, 1 in 10, I figure, a chance if a kid that wants to be a millionaire in America, all things being equal, you've got about a 1 in 10 chance, even if they come from poverty, that they could be a millionaire by the time they're 50 or 60 years of age. If they just work hard and are disciplined, they can do it the old-fashioned way. But they'd rather do it the quick way and the greedy way by playing the lottery in uh, just gain. I'd like to preach there. for, but, uh, So the Bible says, take heed of covetousness in verse 15 of course it says take heed therefore and beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not of the abundance of the things which he possesseth." and how much of our life is defined by what we own the next paragraph here the word translated covetousness can also mean greed who has that paragraph for us i just want to rest my voice who read that whole paragraph for us please one lady one of you ladies read that for us anybody got that book Page 31, the bottom of the page, the word translated covetousness. And 2 St. Peter 2 3 says this, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise with you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel type preachers that are out there and uh, of uh, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even to this day here, of course, that make merchandise of God's people and uh. uh you know, if God desires for you to be rich, we call it the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Uh, I, I, I said, uh, well, let's, let's, read, let's read on here and I'll give you another illustration here in a minute. Jesus explained, said, Our worth is not measured in our, by our possessions, our value is not determined by our net worth. If we don't understand this, we will be consumed with greed. Greed is such a wicked sin, Jesus tells us a parable to warn against it. Did Jesus ever tell a parable to warn against adultery? No. Did he ever tell a parable to warn against drunkenness? No. But he tells us the parable to warn us about greed. Why? Because it is a subtle, deceptive sin. Greed has been correctly listed as one of the seven deadly sins. It's interesting, God doesn't condemn in a parable adultery or drunkenness but he does condemn greediness and i mean i can say this in this crowd here and you know uh i for years one of my goals has been for pastor when i was a young pastor wanted to have a multi-million dollar building well we got that today i wanted to have it all paid for i wanted to have it paid for We're the first 20 years of being in being a pastor well that was 16 years ago now for me and yeah, it's still not paid but uh we paid a lot of money off, and we owe two hundred seventy thousand dollars. And uh, I'm preaching to the proverbial choir this this this, uh, this morning here. And you know this to be true. If you don't, you're you're just a little naive. I hate to tell you. but we have the wherewithal in our church family to pay off that mortgage. Any time I'm talking about our, our extended church family, I was talking to somebody this past week who, whoever, remain unnamed. They have more in their toys alone than, than, than the amount of mortgage it would be to pay off. They could just get rid of some toys and they could pay off our mortgage. One family in uh, in our church. And you don't, don't say, who's he talking about? I'll never tell you in a million years. But there's probably several families like that. And uh, the fact of the matter is, uh, I, I come to the conclusion that uh, God doesn't need our money. That's not where our riches are at. And we've been blessed in a great way. I say it all the time with our building and our land. Some piano guy that was here yesterday delivering the piano. And the first thing he said to the carport, Tim heard him. Of course, you know, he said, wow, what a beautiful play, facility and what a beautiful view you have, of course. And we know that. We hear that a thousand times. And God's blessed us. But I was thinking how God blesses, uh, God's blessed our ministry for sure. But I got uh, but Lucio Gallo's prayer, prayer letter I read a week and a half ago. They had the summer camp. They had 30, over 30 people saved at summer camp. Now, what's God more glorified in? Uh, 30 people getting saved or, or a beautiful building on a hillside? You know, I mean, I'd like to, I, he's glorified with this beautiful building on the hillside, it's true. But he's far more glorified by one soul getting saved, let alone 30 souls getting saved. And so, uh, who's, God, uh, who's God blessing even more right now at the moment in time if we could quantify it? Uh, harvest baptist church or brother gallows ministry I, I think it's we'd have to say i think we all can see brother gallows ministry not that he hasn't blessed us don't misunderstand me but uh he has blessed us but uh, there's more blessings than just material blessings this is the whole punchline of the story be ready to die the bible tells us uh, rather the parable tells us and back on the worksheet uh avoid being to avoid being a fool beware of greed and then be ready to die the, the illustration is about this rich farmer that says his barns are filled, and of course I'm paraphrasing, the first paragraph there, page 32. He doesn't have enough room to store his crops. So what will he do? He says, I will pull down my barns and build greater. There will be all my, my fruits to, and my goods. I, I, I play this game in my own life. I, I play it almost every day of my life. I want to continue to, to be blessed and be prospered and so forth. We're te- going to be t- teach on blessing, uh, preach a little bit on blessing tonight and so forth. And nothing wrong with being blessed, with prosperity, materially wise, financially wise, of course. But there's more to life than this, far more to life than this. In fact, this is just, it's just uh, physical, it's just temporal. It's here today gone tomorrow and we, yeah, we want more and more. And, uh, there's nothing wrong with this with this, with this wealth, this rich man's wealth. There's nothing wrong with your wealth. I'm glad that God's blessed you and me, blessed our church. The problem is his attitude towards it. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of possessions as long as your possessions don't possess you. I used illustration many times of uh, a business owner in uh, Rockford, Illinois, when I was a kid. I was back 24 at the time, just a kid, just a young, you know, been to Bible college. I knew everything back then, of course, and uh, I was with a businessman, and he—I think he was testing me. He was—he was an old man; he was like 40 years old, and I'm a—I'm a, I'm a young punk, and so forth. And he asked me, Marty, do I need to tithe off? He—he was a very wealthy business owner. In my mind, he was, and he had several rentals. He says, do I need to tithe off my rental income, and so forth? And I—I uh, I, I could give you the answer. I, I think I gave him a Mickey Mouse answer. I, I, you know, I think so, and so forth, and whatever. I don't know what I gave him for the answer per se. I don't remember. But he was just testing me. But I remember he said these words, and I never forgot about it. He said, Marty, I used to be very poor. Now I'm pretty well-to-do. Let me let you in a little secret. It's harder to be a good Christian now that I'm well-to-do than it was when I was poor. And that spoke to my heart loudly. He didn't know how, long, how loud that spoke to me. But I, I realized that when you don't have anything to give, like the widow's Smite, you can give it all when you have a lot to give, it's harder. You get a little more stingy in your life and so forth. And uh, I think we all we all deal with that. And uh, and, uh, and so I, I think we fight with that. And so I'm not saying that uh, I believe that God's an equal opportunity. God, and a tithe is a tenth, regardless whether you make $10 a week or a million dollars a week. It doesn't matter. God's an equal opportunity in some areas. But to much is given, much will be required. And so... Uh, he had an eye problem. I'm going in the middle paragraph there. I'm just If you follow with me about halfway through that paragraph, it says, this is clear by what this man received his enjoyment from, by the number of times that the farmer used the personal pronoun I or my. In verses 17 and 18, he uses it nine times. Therefore, what does this uh, greedy, rich farmer say to himself? Well, verse number 19 again, of course. Uh, I will say to my good, soul, thou hast much good's. Laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But uh, Epicurean, that's Epicurean philosophy of life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And I remember uh, before I became pastor, my last job was uh, at Amphenol in Danbury 37 years ago, whatever it was now. And uh, I remember I had a boss, uh, and he retired, my, my foreman, He retired. He'd been there in Amphenol for, like I think, like 40 years or 35, 37, whatever long he'd been there. He he hit the retirement age of 65. We had a big party for him. And uh, I can't remember his name. He was a real likable guy. And he looked so forward to his days of retirement, worked hard all his life, and he went home. And about a month later, six weeks later, he had a massive heart attack and died. And uh, we thought, boy, Joe never did get a chance to enjoy his retirement. I thought, boy, he lived his whole life thinking that working towards the day where he could take it easy and be merry, eat, drink, and be merry, and, and then he died. We don't know where is our life. It's a vapor. We're here day gone tomorrow. So since this rich farmer is totally focused on the here and now, he wants to live it up. God wants us to plan for the future. He wants us to invest wisely and be prepared for retirement. However, God does not want us to forget from whom all blessings come this popped in my head, I was with uh, somebody this past week who happens to have a motorcycle. Some of you might figure out who I'm talking about. Had A real nice motorcycle. And I said to this person, I said, well, uh, oh, I just wanted to have one of these. And I had a, I had a, one, a Honda 175 when I was a kid, which is a little dirt peanut of a bike. But I love my bike. And uh, I wanted to have a you know a Goldwing 1000, Honda 1000 someday, or 750, whatever. Suzuki 750, what have you, and so forth. And even in my many years going forward, I've wanted to, I thought it'd be so nice. I know preachers, friends of mine that have Harleys and own bikes. And I said, I'd like to have a bike. Can you imagine me on a bike, though? Can you, can you really imagine me on a bike? I mean, that, that would be a sight for eyes, of course, you know. So, and, uh, but uh, finally, about five, seven, eight, ten years ago, I finally got over my bike and uh, my bike fantasy. I said, I'm never going to have one. I don't need one. Now I don't want one. The the days have gone by and it's too late for that. And I just smile and laugh about it. I wasn't meant to have a bike. Nothing wrong with having a bike. But uh, I think you understand uh, it's here today gone tomorrow, regardless. So success and riches give the farmer at the bottom of the page of 32. The illusion, he is in control of his life. Therefore, what does God say? He calls him, verse number 20, thou fool. That's strong language. He said, you're a fool. This day, thou soul shall be required of thee. Tonight, before the service is out, before the Sunday is out, or one of our souls, my soul might be required of me. And I was, of, I was thinking of Aaron Waddell the other day, and his daddy, of course, died at 48 years of age of a massive heart attack. Uh, well-to-do gentleman, of course, and worked hard all his life. And I'm not implying by any means he did anything wrong, as far as I know, he lived for Christ every day of his life. And, uh, but we're here, we don't know, do we? Top of the next page. Uh, It says, uh, or the the bottom of page 32, the rich farmer is the only person Jesus calls a fool. In the Bible, people aren't called fools because of their intellectual inferiority. It is quite obvious that this is a successful farmer with business savvy. Most often the word fool refers to someone who disregards God as in this parable or who... Doesn't believe in him. For example, what does Psalm 14:1 say? Declare about a fool. Well, you know, most of you know it. The fool have said in his heart, do you know it. There is no God. Now, you know, we we use the King James, and everybody knows that here, of course, and so forth. And I believe God's inspired His word, but there's words that are supplied for our because we're we're Americans, we're English, and we they had to be supplied. So those words. The fool said in his heart, "There is." The two words, "There is," is supplied, because the implication is, in the Hebrew, it would be the, the exact, strict in, uh, translation. The fool said in his heart, "No God." Well, there is no God, or we're going to say, but the fool said in his heart, "No God," and I, many people know that there's God, but they say no to God. They say no to God, and they they. Uh, I think we do that with our greed factor and so forth. God says, no, that wouldn't be a good idea, and we say no to God. And uh, you don't want to say there is no God to be, in, you don't have to say there is no God to be an atheist. You just have to live that way. This is what the Bible calls greed, only a fool lives as if this life is all here, uh, is, is all there is. And I, again, I'm preaching to the choir this morning here, you know that here, but let me just say... Uh, uh, offerings have been great I've been saying that every week and they've been great for all through this COVID year that we've had and people give I got two letters in the mail yesterday from people that will not be here today that, that faithfully give uh, to the work of God and I'm thankful for that and so forth and so on but we have people that uh, and I thank God for the faithful givers that we have but if everybody gave uh then identifies Harvest Baptist Church as a church and gave a, just a tithe We'd be so rolling in dough, we wouldn't know what to do with it. We'd have to say, stop, you're giving too much money. That's the truth. And uh, we'd, our offerings would be conservatively, honestly, even with the small crowd that we have today, honestly, I'll just give you a hard number. We may off 1000 or 2000 either way. We'd have $10,000 weekly offerings, I'm sure of it, every week if people just gave, gave if every, every, everybody gave a tenth, gave a tithe, we need to preach on that more. But I, why well, I preach it to the proverbial choir? You're already doing that. And uh, many of you can be on the... And I find that people that make less give more, usually. That's usually the case. And I've seen it over and over and over again. Greed is a terrible thing. So, uh, the funeral home director gives the story that in the middle paragraph there, uh, Dr. Bobby Heard, one of my associate pastors this preacher, saying, told me about a pastor friend who got a super price for a suit from a funeral director. There's only one problem. The suit didn't have uh, any pockets. It was made for dead people who don't need pockets. When you die, you you won't need pockets in your burial cloth, clothes, because you didn't bring anything into the world, and you won't take anything out. It's certain that we'll carry nothing out with us. Of course, it's we're here today, gone tomorrow. I uh, again, I, I I still, I guess, have a problem with it because it po- pops in my head even right now. But I I think of people with means. I'm thinking of certain somebody right now in my head. If if. Honestly, if they died today and they're close to death, honestly, honestly, I mean, just from what I know, I mean, they could, they could tip. They could just give a pittance of their inheritance and they could pay off our church mortgage and they wouldn't even miss it. The, the family wouldn't miss it. I mean, they wouldn't even miss it. I mean, multiplying millions of dollars, for them, $270,000 is nothing. Uh, I don't expect that we'll probably get anything from them. I mean, that's just the way it is. But they, and they name in the name of Christ. And don't think, you, there's no way you could get, guess, so don't even go there. You can't guess who I'm talking about. You don't know them. But uh, they're, they're somewhat affiliated. They're associated with our church in a roundabout way, of course. And they could give, they, they spend their whole life amassing wealth. And, and uh, they're just going to die and not take a dime with them. And um, hopefully I'm wrong, but I... I They've spent their whole life not giving a dime to God's work. Why why would they give a dime to God's work when they die? I don't think that'll happen. I I think God calls them. You say, preacher, using strong language. I think God calls that person that names the name of Christ that that saves all, hoards everything for themselves and thinks they're going to take it with them. I think that's who God calls a fool. I didn't call him Jesus Christ said that. God said that thou fool, this night thou fool, thy, thy soul shall be required of thee. So, uh, be spiritually rich. You know, uh, I'm going I'm to tattle. I'm going to tattle. I'm going to, for the first time, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. Maybe I had said it once, one other time. I'm going to tattle, as I call it. I'm going to gossip. I'm going to tell you the truth. There, I'm going to tell you the truth for a change here. So, uh, I'll never forget when Walt and Diane Hart sold their house 10, 15 years ago. They tithed off the sale of their house. We got a check for $11,000 one night and a Wednesday night or Sunday night. I, about, I almost had a heart attack in my office. Almost dropped over dead. Like, where did this come from? And, and, and uh, it wasn't hard for me to figure it out because uh, they just sold their house and I, I, I confronted them. And uh, I don't know anybody that's ever done that in 35 years of pastoring. But the hearts did that. Well, we all know the hearts are rich. Well, they really are rich, aren't they? They're rich in Christ. And uh, I can, that story can be told about 50 times over in regards to other people that have died in the church of, the church of house in the mission world It's not even thought of, not even, not even a pittance. all goes to their greedy kids in many cases. And I'm, I'm preaching now and maybe preaching in the flesh maybe a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I am, but I could be. Well, let's finish up here in the next few minutes that we have. Um, to avoid the bottom of page 33... To avoid being a fool, beware of greed. Be ready to die. But then, as we just said, and gave the illustration of the Hart family, be spiritually rich. Be spiritually rich. Jesus applies to the parable by saying, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. There's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 6, of course, uh, they lay for yourselves treasures in earth, where rust and moth doth corrupt, and thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth break through, nor thieves do break through and steal. I bot- bot- botched that, of course, but the last three words reveal how to avoid being a fool by being rich toward God. And since I've already thrown the parts proverbially under the bus, I'll throw them one more time under the bus. But they're not really rich in this world, but they're rich toward God, I believe. And, Lord, they're, 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 uh, and I could use some of you probably for that same illustration for the record. Uh, they, you're accumulating spiritual riches. A fool spends all his time storing up treasures for himself and neglects being rich toward God. Being rich toward God includes going, giving back to God. Therefore, what does Proverbs 3 9 tell us? The Bible says in Proverbs 3 9, for time's sake, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the Uh, with the first fruits of all thine increase then verse 10 says so so, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and uh, most of us here are more well to do because we don't play the lottery we don't drink we don't smoke we don't do drugs we don't uh, have vices we don't have to go to Las Vegas for our fun and we don't have to uh, buy every new car every two years of course and all the things that people do to put themselves into bondage trying to have happiness in this world and and We're we're, we're rich in Christ, and we're also well-to-do in this world, too. God takes care of us. When we, last bottom of the page, when we give our tithes and offerings, we are showing honor to God. We're also reminding ourselves who gives us the ability to gain wealth. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. And so let's uh, finish up on page 34, if we could, here. Being rich toward God is also being generous to those in need. Uh, Luke 6.38. Can you quote that? Anybody quote that? Somebody read that for us here. Luke 6.38, I can quote it, but uh, it's just a few pages away. Somebody get that and read that for us. Luke 6.38, please. Jesus' words. uh i was wrestling uh we've got the gallows of course here then they're going to be a part of our missions conference we had a missions conference with the balavas gallows and that's it i says we can't do this we've got to have another missionary family in of course and we gotta and uh even though we're doing good financially uh our church is downsized like every other church in america more this year than any year previous in million years time and uh and I'm getting a little concerned with our faith Promise missions giving. We've got to start to see that go up and so forth. And we it can't be all about us. I thank God for this gift of this piano that God gave us, and He's, he's blessed us greatly. And uh, we have nothing to be ashamed for that at all. We can be pr- proud in a good way, in a, in a godly way, and thank God for that. But we need to be uh, jealous for getting missions to missionaries to the mission field as well. We need to give beyond our own four walls, of course. And I, I know you know all that. I'm preaching to the pro- choir. First Timothy 6.18 says it this way. In fact, somebody read that verse for us, please. First Timothy 6.18. Okay, and that word communicate has to, the idea of dispense or giving or, 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 or fellowshipping or or giving of of your your bounty and your riches and your time and your tithe and your talents, of course. And so that they, they do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's what God's called us to do. That's how we're rich in Christ, by putting him first. Uh, well, when we do that, the next verse tells us we are storing up treasures for the time to come in heaven. First Timothy sixteen, six nineteen, of course. When we, where we give and how much we give reveals how much we are storing up treasure in heaven. And, uh, you know, I've got two minutes here. I want you to turn to Malachi chapter 3. Just, this is, this is, uh, if you don't get anything else, get this down here. Malachi chapter 3. There is a designated place, I have to do this quickly, but I I want to get to the punchline. There was a certain place that the children of Israel were to give their offerings to. They were to give their offerings, first of all, to what group of people specifically, the Old Testament, under the law. They were given their, their, their tithes to the Levites, okay? To the, and they, 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 there was one place that they could do sacrifices, and it was at the, the, the altar, the tabernacle, or in, in the, the, the temple, of course. We could talk about the three temples that were built, the two temples in the Old Testament days that were built. That's where they were to give their offerings to. And so when Malachi chapter 3... Verse number 10 says, "Bring ye all the tith, there's the tithe, of course, the tenth. Bring ye all the tenth into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me that herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, the, the children of Israel, they did not get this down. they, they had one place to give their tithes to, the storehouse the house of the Lord, they couldn't give it to wherever they wanted to. Now we have people that give their money, their, their so-called tithes to any place they want to, wherever they feel led of the Lord to give, to the Christian radio station, to uh, to an orphanage, to maybe a missionary, to to whoever. The tithe is supposed to come to the local storehouse. In the New Testament, the the house of the Lord, we know that we are the temple of the Lord, we all know that, I don't have to preach that, you know that. But the, the tithe comes first of all to the, Storehouse. It doesn't, you don't tithe to the church, you tithe to the Lord through the church. And then we are, we are to dispense that money. One reason why we try to give at least a tenth of our gross income to the Lord, and we do far more than that because we do faith promise missions, is because we give, uh, you know, 100% comes in here and we give at least a tithe or 10% away to other people, uh, uh, other mission works and so forth, how important that is. But we have people... That bypass the tithe, the storehouses. The whole point, and they give wherever they want to give. Uh, I'll give you illustration after illustration. Uh, 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 Tim, I'll pick on you just for a moment. That I know many a Christian family, or several Christian families over the years, that they are tithe. I, I know that you and Christine tithe. I don't even know that, but I know that. You know, without knowing that, I know it. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, some people, the kids going to Christian school, uh, Christian college. Well, I'm going to tithe to my kid for his. Room and board and tuition. That's my tithe. They're going to the Lord's work. Some people give their tithes towards, again, a, an orphanage or what have you. And There's been plenty of places you can, when you decide where the storehouse is, anything goes. Israelites didn't have that option. In the New Testament, God has a plan A to win the world of Christ, and it's through the local New Testament church. and it has no plan B. He needs no plan B because plan A works just wonderful. If everybody gave you know, Harvest Baptist Church like we should, we, we'd have 50, 60, 70 lights back in there that. World map there for sure. Bible says, "For we treasure this, so we heart be also." Last paragraph for time's sake. Here we're out of time anyhow. Our attitude towards possessions reveals the true priority of our hearts. Kingdom living and greed are mutually exclusive. To avoid being a fool, beware of greed. Be ready to die. And be spiritually rich. This parable on the rich young ruler, the rich young farmer. God says, "Thou fool, uh, don't be a fool." Amen. Well, this this uh. Let's, we'll pray we'll close in prayer here and we I'd like to get on time here. I'm